Well, we have got a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we are going to jump into it and get through uh, the rest of the book of Acts and several of Paul's letters and a lot more than that, all in the next 25 to 30 minutes or an hour or two, I'm not sure yet. But <laughs> we are at the tail end of our series titled The Story. So we have been going through the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And, and last week we got into uh, chapter 28 of the story, which covers uh, the first part of Acts. And the first part of Acts gives us a picture of the first church. Jesus leaves, and he leaves behind his people, empowered by the Spirit, with the church. And the church becomes the new tool that God uses for spreading his blessing, first in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we talked last week about what the church is, and more importantly, what the church is not, right? We spent some time going through six different things that the church is not. The church is not a movie theater where we come in to be entertained. The church is not a megastore where we come in and shop for the things that we want, our own needs and our own preferences. The church is not a restaurant where we come in and sit and, and get the menu and, and scroll through and make orders and are served by someone. The church is not a gas station where we come in once a week for a quick fill-up. The church is not a fitness club where only healthy, fit people show up. And the church is not a hospital where only the hurt and broken come. No, the church is a family, a, a broken family, a dysfunctional family at times, but a family nonetheless. We have that crazy uncle, but we're still a family. We have, we have those family members that are a little questionable, but they're still part of the family, right? We still invite them in. We're still a part of that family. And so we, we see in Acts the first church coming together, devoting themselves to Scripture, devoting themselves. Remember we talked about how strong that word is. They were devoted to Scripture. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to prayer and sharing and communion. They shared with one another and loved one another and cared for one another. And we looked at what the church was all about. Before Jesus leaves, he gives these final instructions to his followers. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as we look at the book of Acts, we see this playing out. We see in the first seven chapters the gospel spreading to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, they shift, and through eight and 12, um, chapters 8 through 12, the gospel spreads to Judea and into Samaria. And then starting in chapter 13 and going on to 28, the gospel begins to spread throughout the world. And we see how Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning. That is only the start to something so much bigger. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 13 and, and spend some time focusing in on there. The, the apostles, primarily led by Peter, are, are leading the church to spread the gospel. But then an unlikely character comes along, someone else that is, is called to do something special, someone who is called to take the gospel to the Gentiles, take, take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, the ones who are not the Jews. And so who is this person that God calls to do this? We're introduced to Saul. 
Saul comes into the scene, and he is not the first pick, right? I mean, I mean, if you had to pick who was going to be the messenger of God to take the message to the Gentiles, would you pick Saul? Let's look at his resume, right? So Saul is a professional Jew, right? He, he knows everything about the Jewish law. And he has made it his job to make sure Christianity does really well, right? No. His job is to exterminate the Christians. And so he is traveling the region with one mission, to get rid of the Christians, to get rid of this crazy message of Jesus. And so Saul is going and persecuting and even executing the Christians. This is his life's work, and he's good at it, and he's dedicated to it. And so when we see who God calls to do something, we see Saul, really? He's going to take the message to the Gentiles? He's a Jew, he's not a Gentile, and so he's going to others who are not like him, and of all people, he's the one who's executing Christians. But he has this radical encounter with God, and is completely transformed in, in encountering Jesus, Jesus the Son of God. And he's the one who's called into doing this great work. We see in Acts chapter 9, Paul or Saul taking on this role. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Ananias is saying, Hey, Saul, really? Is this the guy you want to pick? Is this our best choice? And God says, yes, this is the one I've called. This is my chosen instrument for this job. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Saul is, is chosen by God. He's filled with the Spirit, and he is now the chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles. As the story of Paul unfolds, Acts records three different missionary journeys that he goes on. And he establishes at least ten different churches in the non-Jewish world. But Paul plays such an important role even in our New Testament. He, he writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And so you can see all, all of the books there, 13 of the ones in the middle of the 27 are all written by Paul. He, he turns to a completely different path, right? This unlikely character is used in incredible ways. And we see through the story of God over and over and over how God uses the least likely characters to do great and extraordinary things. He uses the underdogs. He uses the ones who have a questionable background. He uses the ones who don't seem likely in the world's eyes. And so it reminds us that God can use anybody. So we're going to focus in on just the first of Paul's three missionary journeys, starting in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had finished and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the church leadership comes together, and they're obedient to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Spirit says, set apart Saul and Barnabas. 
And so they are sending them off into this new work. And so this missionary journey takes them all over the place. They first leave Antioch. You can see that there on the far right side of the map. They leave Antioch, and, and they're set apart by the Holy Spirit, right? That's important here. They, they're called by God to go on this trip. And so they leave Antioch, and they get on a boat, and they head over to the, the island of Cyprus. They travel across this island to the city of Paphos. And it's, it's there in verse 9 that we see Saul being called Paul. And so we see these names kind of showing up interchangeably, Saul and Paul. They travel from Paphos to Perga, and this is where they have some sort of parting ways with John Mark. There's, there's some rift going on here, not really sure what's going on, but, but he leaves the work that they're doing and goes away. And so then they travel up 100 miles inland to, the, to Antioch of Pisidia. And Paul delivers some powerful sermons to the Jews here. He preaches, and the next Sunday, or the next Saturday, because it's the Sabbath, the next week, the entire town shows up to hear more. That's a pretty successful day in preaching, right? I keep waiting for one of those days. All right. It was such a great sermon. Everybody had to come back the next week. And so then they continue on. All of Antioch assembles. Many Jew Gentiles are converted to Christ. But then opposition arises, and they start stirring up trouble. And so they head over to Iconium. This is where they encounter those jealous Jews who, who don't want them to be there, and so they stir up trouble and they chase them out of town. It's in Lystra that these Jews follow them, and now Paul is stoned and left for dead, which is not a good day of ministry. And then from there they go to Derby, and many respond in Derby. We don't know a lot about what happens in Derby, but many respond to the message of Jesus. And then they trace their steps back and revisit the churches that they've planted and get back on a boat and sail back to where they started in Antioch. And so it's about a 1,400-mile journey that they're going on by sea and by land. And so I look at this map, and I think about all the steps taken and all those nights on a boat and I think, exhausting, right? What a trip. Even if you were going on this journey just to go on the journey and you didn't have the people chasing after you with rocks trying to kill you, it's still a pretty treacherous trip. And so we look at this journey that Paul goes on and we think about the application for our own lives. We wonder what it must have been like to be called into that mission. But the fact is, most of us will not have a journey like this, right? Uh, if, if we sail the Mediterranean, it's not going to be on the kind of boat he was on. We, we probably, most of us, won't even travel to this part of the world. Most of us will not be called to some sort of foreign mission work. And so we look at this journey of Paul and say, what can we get out of this? What lessons do we learn from it? And so, as disciples of Jesus, we look at this journey of Paul and we remember that we ourselves are on a journey. Each of us are on this journey. We talk a lot, that, a lot about that here, about being on a journey, this, this life that we're on. And so, as, as disciples of Jesus, the life journey that we're on is not just about where we're going. It's not just about where we're going. It's who we are as we go. And so we're going to look at the life of Paul and get some, some ideas of what it means to, to live this life, who we need to be on this journey. And the first characteristic we see of Paul is commitment. 
And this guy's committed, right? He is sold out for the mission of God. He is faithful to what God is calling him to. He's faithful along the way. Too often, I think we make the assumption that everything, if everything in my life is going well, then I must be doing what God is wanting me to do. And if things in my life are not going well, then I must not be doing what God wants me to do. And I'm sorry, but that's not in the Bible. <laughs> and it's certainly not in the life of Paul. Because Paul is very much committed to the mission of God and doing what God is calling him to, and his life is not exactly going well. Things are not working out for him the way we would think. And so that is not confirmation that he's not doing the will of God. It's very much in the opposite. It's confirmation that what he is doing is really what God wants him to do. And so we look at Paul's commitment and we see his, his dedication to what God wants him to be. Paul is committed to the mission of God. Here's how Paul describes his work in 2 Corinthians. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from the, my, my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And so I read through this and I immediately think about the TV show Dirty Jobs. How many of you have seen that? Where he goes through and as the host of this show, he goes and experiences these horrible jobs. These jobs that nobody wants to do, but somebody has to do it, right? And so I think of Paul here going in and describing his work. This is quite the recruitment speech, right? You go to a career fair and there's all the booths set up of, of you know, come do this job, right? You know, come be a teacher, come be a lawyer, come be an accountant. Um, and then there's Paul in the corner and he's all weathered and worn out and beaten up and has a black eye and he hands you this pamphlet that says, come be a missionary. This is the benefit of the job, right? And you read through this, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe not. But this is Paul's story. This is, this is how things are. And, and things got tough. And they got, they got really, really tough. But Paul didn't quit. In Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. What does that feel like to be stoned and left for dead? These rocks are beating you up so badly that they think you're dead. And so how does Paul respond? He gets up, and he goes back into the city. He's crazy, right? He is so committed. If this were my story, Jason was taken out to the edge of town because of the sermon he preached and was stoned and left for dead, my story would end with, and he died. <laughs> I'm done, right? I give up. 
And so I leave, and, and, and I look at the story of, of Paul, and it's like, what commitments? To not only just get up and move on, but to go back to the very place that tried to kill him. And so we see this incredible commitment. He was committed to the mission first. He was faithful to that mission despite the opposition. And so now this is where the Holy Spirit really starts to convict me, really starts to get to me, because I look at Paul, and I look at his life, and I look at his ministry, and I look at mine, and, and I see this gap. I see this place where, where I'm at, where I am not as committed as Paul is. There are too many times where, where the Spirit calls me into doing something. He calls me to be at a certain place. He calls me to have a certain conversation, to take a certain step of faith, and I put it off. I delay being obedient to what He is calling me to do. I'll get to it later. And so there's too much in my life where, where it was a meant to be, or a going to be, or maybe just never got around to it. We find ourselves in those places. But we see Paul with a wholehearted commitment to what God is calling him to do. And so today, what is God calling you to do? What has he been working on you with? What has he been nudging you on? What has he been convicting you of? What mission does he want you to take? What actions, what steps does he want from you? What is it that you have been putting off what is it that you have been avoiding? What is it that you have been staying busy with so you don't have to deal with it? I want to challenge us to think about the mission that God has given us. He has a unique calling on each and every one's, one of our lives. And are you faithfully walking out and obedient, being obedient to what he's calling you to do? I think of moms. And I challenge our, our moms to commit to being passionate about God and your calling to raise our children. I know that you're tired. I know that it's complicated. I know that it's difficult. I know that often you're left alone. You feel inadequate and it's challenging. I know that it can be a long, hard week. You don't have the support that you think you need but will you commit to the mission that God has given you to be a mother? And to dads, dads, will you commit to the mission that God has for you of being the spiritual leaders of your households? I know that it's a long week. I know that work is difficult and you get home and you just want to check out and we can put that thing off till some other time. But God is calling us to lead our families. And so will you be faithful and committed to the mission that God is calling you to? To the older men of our congregation, to the older women of our congregation, which we've talked in the past as all of us, right? Because somebody's younger. And so for everybody who's older than somebody, will you be faithful to the message of Titus that says to train up those that are younger. Will you take somebody under your wing? Will you encourage someone? Will you love on one, someone? Will you become a mentor? Will you become a leader? Will you become a disciple maker? 
These are things that God is calling us to do. When you go to work this week, will you do everything for the glory of God? Will you be the influence that God has called you to be? Will you commit to doing the job that God has called you to do? Students, as you go to school this week, will you commit to the mission that God has for you? He has a mission for each of you. He has called you to something. He has put you into relationships with other people. And he is calling you to something very special. Will you commit to what God is calling you to do? As followers of Jesus, will you be committed every day to what Jesus is calling us to? Paul was committed. The second characteristic of Paul's journey is joy. Man, he is a happy guy and celebrates with such joy. This is pretty amazing. I think tolerating hardship is probably admirable, right? But to actually find joy in it, that's just crazy. Paul finds joy in, in the obstacles that he faces. He faces it confidently. Paul's joy in the midst of all that is going on is so impressive. Paul starts out with some great successes. In, in Antioch, he's, um, it says this, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, Great preaching day, right? The whole city shows up, wants to hear him preach more. So that's going well. But then it kind of starts to transition. And then it shifts. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuses on him. So now the critics start coming out. The abuses start coming out. They start contradicting what he's saying. And then it starts to get even worse. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of, of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So now they're being persecuted for the things that they're saying. And so they move on. They decide that the oppositions there are too great. And so they decide to move on to something else. And this is how they end this episode. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we have this great preaching moment and things are not going well and we're getting run out of town and we're being persecuted, but we're filled with joy and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not going as planned and they're not full of resentment. No, they're not filled with discouragement. They're not filled with disappointment. They're not filled with fear. They're not filled with frustration. They're filled with joy in the Spirit. And too often, I am not joyful if things are not going well. It's easy to be joyful when things are going great, right? But when things are not going well, it's a little bit more challenging, right? And so they don't find, they don't find joy in that things are going well. They, they find joy regardless. They find joy in the Lord. How many of you have ever gone and done family photos? Right? We get together and do, do family photos. And, and with a house full of girls, doing family photos is just like lots of fun, right? 
And so we have to get the matching outfits and we get everybody together and we have to get everybody done at the right time and get in the car and get to the place to take pictures. When Annabeth was first born, we got together and did this photo session at this photographer's house. And, and so we finally get everybody together and we're there. And, and she has us all laying on our stomachs on the floor looking up at the camera, which is going to be this great pose, right? But it's miserable. And she keeps the room at like 80 degrees so the baby can stay asleep. And so we're all there laying on our stomach like this, looking at the camera, trying to smile in this 80-degree heat with all the, the flashes and everything. And, and so we're smiling, right? When we first moved here, we went out to the Bosque and um, took a picture um, out there. Um, here's, here's our family picture. It looks great, right? We're so happy. It was miserable. Oh my goodness. So, so we, we waited a little too long in the season. You can see that the leaves are not kind of changing colors. It's completely dead. And so it was cold and it was windy. And we would have to like throw a blanket on Clara and then like throw the blanket off, take a picture and like throw the blanket back on. And the wind's blowing and the hair's blowing. And we're like, we're happy. We're this great, happy family, right? And you can see like this, this smile, the smiles on their faces. They're like, this is fun, right? <laughs> Take a good picture. We're happy. And then the camera takes the picture, and then it's like, okay, get out of here. And that's usually family pictures more often than not, right? And so we're smiling on the outside, but we're not smiling on the inside. We're not experiencing joy. We can, we can look happy in some way, but but we're not. We really just want to, to get out of there and go inside and have some hot cocoa. And Paul is so completely different than that. His joy is not based on the circumstances. His joy is in the, in, in the Lord. Later on in Acts, in chapter 16, uh, we've got this episode where Paul and Silas are traveling together, and, and they're arrested. It's not a good day for them, right? So they're arrested and thrown in jail. Acts, 20, Acts 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul. So they're not just being attacked by like one or two people. Like the crowd all joins in and, are, and they're getting their joy out of this, right? And so, so the crowd joins in and attacks them. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay, beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So, so they are bloodied, and they're all beat up, and they're in this jail cell, and their feet are in stocks. This is not a good day, right? Things are not going well. And it gets so bad for them. But then midnight comes. In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So here are Paul and Silas, they're beaten up, they're locked up, and, and things have not gone the way they planned it. And what is their response? Hey, let's have a night of worship. Let's sing some songs. Let's say some prayers. This is their response. In the midst of their crisis, they're praying and they're singing. We don't have time to explore it now. We'll have to do it some other time. But I believe that, that worship music is one of the best defenses that we have in spiritual warfare. As, as, as we are battling with the enemy to have worship music, to be able to sing, to be able to, to worship in that way, does some pretty incredible things. Heart-filled worship will transform a space. They're not in a jail cell. They're in the throne room of God. 
And so we see that Paul is committed. We see that he is joyful. There are so many other qualities that we could explore with Paul that, that we just don't have time to do. His, his love, his patience, his courage. But here's one thing I want us to key in on. As, as we think of the life of Paul and, and think of the journey that we're on, your journey is not just about where you're going. It's about who you are along the way. This is not just a destination thing. It's not about getting, getting to heaven and, and getting to the end and everything's great. It's not just about where we're going. It's about who we are along the way, the character that we have. And so this is so incredible. It's so challenging. It honestly seems just absolutely impossible to me to be able to have this level of commitment and to have this level of joy all the things that Paul exhibits, how do you do that? It's all about who they traveled with. Not how they traveled, not where they traveled. It was who. We're not talking about Barnabas. We're not talking about Silas. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. That they traveled with the Spirit. The Spirit was in them. The Spirit was with them. The Spirit empowered them. Remember in Acts chapter 1, we see that, that they received power from the Holy Spirit. That's where the strength comes to live this way. That's, that's where the strength comes from. The Holy Spirit is there in the very beginning. All the way back in Genesis, we see the Spirit hovering over the waters, right? And the Spirit has been a part of, of this entire story. But, but in Acts, the Spirit takes center stage. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 57 times in the book of Acts. It's the, the Greek word pneuma, which means wind. We, we often can't see the wind, but we feel the wind. We feel the effects of the wind. We feel the power of the wind. And, and the question isn't what is the Spirit. The question is who is the Spirit. Because as we read through Scripture, the, the, the Spirit is personified along the way. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit acts. The Spirit leads. The Spirit calls and guides. The Spirit grieves. The Spirit decides. The Spirit comforts. And Jesus tells us that we're going to have this spirit in John chapter 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Another advocate. That means we already had one advocate. And that was Jesus. And now we're going to have another one. And this word another is, is another one in the same way. So we're going to have another advocate that's the same as the first advocate. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus comes as God in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit is given to us as, as God in the spirit. Jesus is God in the flesh for a short time. He is, he is God with us, but he goes away and he promises that we won't be alone. In John chapter 16, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is God with us. But the Spirit is God in us. And so the Spirit comes and dwells, dwells in us. We're not traveling alone. The Holy Spirit is there for the journey. He's our constant companion. 
And so as we think about this journey that we're on, this, this discipleship path that God is calling us to, as we, we think about all that that means and the challenges that it presents, we pray the prayer, God, fill us with your Spirit. God, fill us with your Spirit. I don't always know what that means. I don't know what that always looks like, but I know that I need it. God, fill us with your Spirit. Because we cannot do this on our own. It will not be by our own strength. It will not be by our own will. It will be by the Spirit in us and working through us. Let's be standing. So we we keep asking this question of, um, God, what are you saying to me? And God, what what am I going to do about it? God, what are you saying to me and what what are you going to do about it? And so I don't know what God is convicting you of. He, He is calling you to something. He's calling each and every one of us to something. And and right now, it may be just a simple, small step of faith. Start doing this. Stop doing this. Have this conversation. Talk to this person. Pause here. Go here. He's calling us to do something. And so it is our job to stop putting it off, but to be obedient in what God is calling us to do. And so this prayer time is a time for us to encourage one another. It's time for us to pray with one another. If you've got something that you want prayer for, if there's some hardship that you're in, some, some struggle that you're in, something that, that is making this journey difficult for you, find somebody to pray with. We'll have shepherds down front, and there are others among us that, that can pray with you. Pray with somebody. Um, share with somebody what God is calling you to be and ask them to hold you accountable to that. Uh, this is a time that we can, we can cross the aisles and move around and, and pray for one another, pray with one another. Whatever it is God is speaking to you, maybe it's that um, you need to start a relationship with God. You have not made a commitment to Him to have a relationship with Him, and you need to do that today. You need to come forward and you need to confess Him as your Lord and, and take Him on as your Lord. You can come down and, and talk to us about what that looks like. But this is a time for us to encourage one another and pray for one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for, um, for Paul and his, um, his example to us. God, I pray that we could be more like him, that we can be committed wholeheartedly to your mission, and we can serve you with everything that we have in great joy, great, great passion for what you've called us to. God, we give this prayer time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.